Hello everyone. Welcome to Making Data Speak and I am your host Sachin Tonk. The amount of data we produce every day is truly mind-boggling. 90% of today's data is created in the last 2 years. The current pace of data capturing poses a significant challenge for data professionals in terms of how to manage and utilize data. The Making Data Speak podcast series is the result of my passion to explore both the art and science of data. In each episode we unveil the hidden stories, connect points and paint the data picture for businesses and consumers together with thought leaders and experts across the region. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on my website sachintong.com. Stay tuned for more. This is a podcast disclaimer before we start the session. The content of this podcast does not and is not meant to provide professional advice. The views, information and opinions expressed during Making Data Speak podcast are solely those of individuals involved and do not represent the individuals current or past employer, organization or committee. If you're listening to this, AI is a part of your everyday life. it has touched literally every industry and transform our experience as users and consumers it has the potential to transform much more but only if we let it a lot of progress in ai is held back due to issues with adoption which can arise due to lack of trust ai is expected to be even more deeply integrated into everything we do but it's utmost important to understand what lies inside the black box or it will continue to overwhelm us scare us and make us anxious to discuss this and more i am joined by gorav bobna co-founder next billion ai a geospatial data platform gorav loves working on new initiatives and bringing them from idea to life and going from launch to scale he has been involved in various initiatives all through his career across morgan stanley ola and grab everyone needs ai today when you talk about netflix people are getting recommended series to watch this is nothing but ai when you buy a furniture from ikea recommended furnitures for you is ai so i think everyone needs ai and accidentally or unknowingly people are trapped in ai so gor what are your takes on that everyone needs ai yeah i think it's a great point you brought up right but people actually use ai uh, and they encounter ai in their day to day lives but they don't actually realize this for example a lot of us have used say an Uber or a Grab or an Ola or a Lyft, wherever we are. So the price that's quoted to you when you say, "Hey, I want a ride from my home to my office," or when you go to Amazon and you're browsing for products, the products you are shown, the price you are quoted, or the delivery agent that's assigned to you, it's all determined by AI. Even sort of looking at a macro picture, there's some research by I think McKinsey that says AI has the potential to add 15 trillion. dollars to the world gdp by 2030 just in southeast asia alone uh, it has the potential to add up to a trillion dollars so clearly everyone needs ai in this world and a lot of us are probably already using it without realizing it ai and machine learning is so important nowadays and especially after covid-19 every business model is reinventing themselves and they are heavily dependent on data driven approach ai and machine learning So the million dollar question is that how do we do the things right at the first time and we maintain our agility speed to market so that we always have competitive advantage 
Yeah, I think a great point, Sachin, right? Which is as AI becomes more and more important and starts to drive more and more critical functions, it becomes really important to get things right, essentially all the time or the first time. So for example, in machine learning, we measure these metrics like precision, recall, accuracy. So even if you are right 99% of the time, but you're 1% and you are in the 1% where instead of paying $10 for your trip to the office, you get charged $50, you would be extremely unhappy. Or imagine other scenarios where one of the emerging areas is smart cities. Now imagine if uh, AI starts driving traffic lights or emergency response services. So if that 1% going wrong can very well mean life or death or you missing an important meeting. So it's really important to get it right the first time. You brought a very good point about smart nation. And as you know, in Singapore, the government and government bodies are trying to make the nation smart, data-driven nations. And they are very supportive of um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Is there any tips or tricks for our listeners? Uh, And you can give an example of your use case as well, where you actually used it to speed up the development and adoption of AI in any of your scenarios? Yes, I can offer certainly. Again, there's no you know, one size fits all way to solving this. But a few tips that have helped me personally when sort of deploying applications in production is the first is why it's, you know, super important to think about, hey, how do I get it right 99%? But it's also equally, if not more important to think of the edge cases. So just th- starting to think of, hey, okay, it, AI is always going to go wrong 1% of the times, 2% of the times. What would that behavior look like in 2%? How badly can things go wrong? And how are we handling that? First idea is thinking edge cases as a default option. I think uh, so, so. that's a super important thing. And then once you start thinking of edge cases, there's a term that's used in the industry, which is often called guardrails or fallbacks, where uh, you think, hey, in this edge case context, can I be more intuitive or a simpler mechanism. So I I can give an example. Let's go back to the same Uber example. You say, hey, I'm going to my office. Your office is very close. Let's say it's two kilometers away. Now, maybe you add a simple check. Hey, for a two kilometer trip, the price should never be quoted beyond $20. If it's beyond $20, even if it is peak hour surge pricing or whatever, probably something is wrong. So so that's a very simple example, but, but the idea could be a lot more sophisticated. But this is sort of edge case and thinking of fallbacks is, is, you know, one good way that I have found on how, for example, we can ensure nothing goes horribly wrong and actually help adoption in the real world. That's a great point, Gaurav. And I think I like the word edge cases. What we call also is that negative use cases or some kind of worst case scenario. So whenever there, there are application development, we overlook these kind of scenarios that what can be the rainy day situations. And I think if we go and use those edge cases in our development, I think artificial intelligence and machine learning scenarios can be reduced from 1%, maybe 0.5% or something like that can be a reduction. I think it is very important to understand the key challenges what AI usually faces in types of quick adoption and quick implementation or turnaround time. So according to you, what are your views on key challenges and what should be the mechanism to overcome these key challenges? I think my experience, what is also considered like accepted in the industry is very often data and all the challenges around data, they typically tend to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest challenge or bottleneck 
to development of AI applications. And there's, for example, some estimates that something like 80% of the time, energy, money, etc., of the entire life cycle of AI development is spent either in acquiring data, cleaning data, labeling of data, validating, or realizing, hey, you know what, I only have part of the data. I don't have data for 20%. Maybe I have data for everyone under the age of 40, but I just don't have enough data for people who are above 50. But hey, you know what, I'm trying to develop an application for Western Europe, where people above 50 constitute 20% of the population. So it's things like this. I think thinking more about data and how can we get better data, do it faster? How do we spend less time training it, cleaning it, all of that? And this is a topic unto itself. But yeah, this is definitely an area which will probably see highest ROI when thinking of accelerating AI. So Gaurav, I think I just wanted to understand or pick up your brain on what is your view when it comes to different markets, like developing versus developed, like Asian market versus Western market. So do you see any difference in the adoption of AI, deployment of AI, strategies of managing AI in these two different markets? Yeah, I think, uh, for example, just my startup alone, we work on across, I think, 20 different countries. So yeah, so what we've seen personally is that Obviously, starting off since we were discussing data, that's the first place where emerging markets and more developed markets tend to be different, where just availability of structured data, or take a simple example, government releasing structured and clean data sets for application development, that doesn't exist. Addresses are very structured, say in the US or even Singapore, right? Every building has a unique postcode. But if you go to, for example, India or Indonesia, it's estimated something like 25% postcodes in addresses tend to be wrong. As an example, a lot of people don't know their actual postcode. Instead of saying an address like, hey, 12 Cantonment Road, their address will look like, hey, take the first left from Starbucks and greenhouse opposite the traffic light. So I think the challenge of unstructured data, languages, cultures, etc., I think they definitely create a big bottleneck, which is why you're also seeing something that's built in the United States, scales to United States, scales to the UK. Maybe it's not that hard to extend to Western Europe, but for the rest of the world, it's not that easy. Clearly, there is this challenge of, say, localization, or I think there's a need to firstly recognize that you know what I say, one size does not fit all. And you have to treat some of these problems differently and saying, hey, I'm going to build something that's going to work for the entire world. Yeah, so I think Gaurav, everybody likes to talk about success stories, right? About artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not a big fan of uh, success stories, but I'm a much more bigger fan of failure stories. Because I think the stories which fail leaves a, a great learning behind it. You, you can celebrate success, but I think the learning comes from the failures. So in your real scenario, and you have started your own startup, right? So can you share some of some of your failure stories? And I'm sure listeners will not judge you for that. So I'll give you an exa- real example of, and actually I mentioned this, I think, as one of the examples earlier. So, you know, where we I was working on one sort of ride hailing scenario for one of our customers and an AI model that we had deployed for them resulted in just one case one use case of a cab ride getting priced at some $27 when it should have been $9. And I think some senior executives or something 
ended up sending this as a screenshot to the product manager on their team. And it, it, it caused a lot of heartburn for everyone. <laughs> Funnily enough, actually, what it also did is, so even though this was like a tech company and senior execs are supposed to be a lot more educated on all things tech, but while this incident caused a temporary sort of, you know, heartburn for everyone, but in reality, over the next three months, it actually brought to light the impact this team was driving and how much AI is... Uh, actually helping drive a lot of critical functions. So it, it, in a way, it, it was quite a unfortunate incident, but it actually helped, right? Like, which is, so it, in a weird way, when something goes wrong, it also brings to light some of these issues. So yeah, I mean, I, I like to still take sort of a positive view on things. And at least that's the story I tell myself about this incident. <laughs> no, it is a blessing in disguise. So looking into Asian market and which is the focus. If you look at Europe, Americas and other regions, Asia is the focus and a lot of big companies are focusing on that. And if we can narrow down, because I come from India, narrow down on India, there are still a lot of people who doesn't even use smartphones. And we are talking about billions of users. So how does the adoption of AI or machine learning or these smart technologies will integrate in countries like India, where there are majority of the people is not even using smartphones? Great question. So there are, the first thing is, you know, what I just mentioned, which is starting point and it's a mindset thing, right? Which is, as you said, you need to recognize that AI has different layers, right? The first layer itself is saying, hey, you know what? I'm building something in Silicon Valley, which is where still most of our big tech companies are globally, saying that, hey, you know what? The same thing will not necessarily apply to India. And as you said, even India, once you get into it, you realize that, hey, it's like a billion users, right? Uh, and not even everyone uses smartphones. So even within India, you, you need a different approach for a Mumbai and a Delhi versus some third-tier town near Calcutta. So that's the first thing. I think one of the approaches we have really found work really well. So, you know, I used to work at Grab before this, where we were developing applications for users across all of Southeast Asia, eight countries, very different demographics. Uh, we're doing the same thing in our startup right now, serving countries all the way from underdeveloped countries in Africa to New York City, for example, and London. And one of the approaches we found is having local teams, you know, work really well. So as an example, people who understand the local context, uh, and it's not just having somebody there, but people who are really empowered to take decisions, to influence the product roadmap, etc., who understand, hey, to your point, hey, India has billions of users. And we need to look at India, I don't know, in three segments. Like, let's hypothetically say, hey, we need something for tier one cities, tier two cities, tier three cities, everything else we discussed, right? Like, what's the synthetic data? Okay, there's no data, but what's the best synthetic data we can use here? How do we think about the edge cases? I, again, this is a large topic, which I'm sure we can discuss for five more podcasts. But I think this is definitely one approach we have found uh, that helps uh, a lot of companies and use cases adopt their products much better. Gaurav, have you ever encountered regulatory challenges while deploying AI and machine learning models in the production? Fantastic point. And this is as a side note by I'm a huge proponent of domain expertise, at least sort of understanding an industry use case, because, you know, while this talk of artificial general intelligence, it's nuances like this, which mean, okay, just somebody who has no experience in the finance industry 
you know, we'll find it very challenging to just go deploy something in the finance industry. But coming back to your question, there is definitely an increasing recognition across governments across the world where people are like, hey, we need some ownership about our data. We need to regulate, you know, data is the new oil, so to say. We need to regulate our data. We need to have constraints, guardrails, check put in. I'll give you some examples of what we have come across. Pricing by cab aggregators, as an example, in Singapore is now regulated partly by CCCS, which is Competition Commission of Singapore, where they impose constraints that the same thing. They regulate your AI models. If you want to make substantial changes to the algorithms, it needs to go through a CCCS approval. Uh, another example is a lot of map data is now considered by many countries across the globe as sort of national interest. So if, as an example, you're working with LIDAR data in China, uh, that LIDAR data cannot leave Chinese borders. So everything that has to happen on that data has to be done from within China. Similarly, obviously, we're all aware of GDPR. So there's definitely an increasing recognition. And uh, this is also where, you know, not directly linked to AI, but there's a lot of opportunity, especially where even some of the cloud infrastructure companies like AWS, Azure, et cetera, are innovating to try and enable some of these use cases to happen seamlessly. But I'm sure this is going to become an increasing area of focus. I know there's another area called regulation tech or reg tech that has become really popular. I think uh, I, I definitely see it becoming more and more important across use cases globally. Gaurav, from an AI and data perspective, what do you think which is more important? It is data the most important thing according to you or is the AI? And you can't say both because uh, that will be a very diplomatic, but AI comes first or data comes first according to you? Yeah, I think absolutely data comes first. And I think if you ask me, I would say data comes first, domain expertise or deep understanding of your users and context and industry, domain, all of that, I think that comes second. And I actually think the actual AI comes third because the questions we are discussing, right, which is how do you understand the regulation in the finance industry? How do you understand the use case? How do you get the data for that? If you get all that, sure. I mean, you know, some super cutting edge convolutional neural nets will produce 3% better results, but getting from zero to 98% can probably be done by, you know, some uh, fairly simple, you know, run of the bill methods, as long as you get data and sort of you understand the context. So yeah, absolutely. I think data is, is more important. AI is definitely a backbone. It is a must, must have, and the adoption and the acceleration of AI is a new thing. So any last key takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I think you know, the numbers we mentioned at the beginning, like trillions of dollars or whatever, maybe sort of sharing a different statistic, which is just in the ASEAN region. Again, there's an estimate that you know, AI has the potential to automate half the active, half of the economic activities that are performed you know, at, at country scale or region scale, right? So I think absolutely AI is no longer, it's important that people at least develop some intuitive understanding of how is it going to work? How is it going to impact me? What are the advantages? How can I leverage this better? And I guess maybe for a different segment uh, of people who have the ability to influence actual deployment, these include practitioners or governments, it becomes equally important to think you know, more holistically, right? What are 
ethics around AI adoption? How do we make adoption seamless? How do we uh, make it inclusive? How do we ensure it doesn't just benefit a small set of population, etc.? So yeah, I think definitely we are well past the stage of AI being just a cool thing, you know, being done by some people in some engineering or math class. Thanks, Gaurav. It was a great discussion. AI definitely is not a cool thing. It is must have. And I would say it's a blessing to humankind and a lot of automation, a lot of work can be done, which will make sure that we concentrate or humans can concentrate on the real things which machines and artificial intelligence cannot do. At the end of the day, humans are always on the top. AI is created by humans. AI has not created the humans. Thanks, Gaurav. It was lovely speaking to you. Thank you, Sachin. Great being here. You have been listening to your host Sachin Tonk on Making Data Speak. Always remember that this is your podcast and you can contribute to the topics and themes. I'm very hungry to hear from you to make this journey of making data speak a success. So please leave your comments and views on LinkedIn, Facebook or on my website sachintong.com. We will be back with a brand new episode in the next two weeks. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen.